This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and Cents on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Cents, the show all about personal finance. And I'm Sim Weeboon. Now, try as you may, time cannot be stopped or even delayed. You know, And because of this, many of us spend our younger years working hard to try to build a career and earn a decent living so we can afford a comfortable retirement. Because the thinking is, if you work hard enough, you earn a lot of money, you, you probably can retire a bit earlier than plan, a bit earlier than what most people think. And this retirement can present to you as a new lease in life where you're no longer bound by the constraints of work, you're free to pursue your own goals and you know maybe enjoy a more leisurely life. But things are not as simple as just setting aside a sum of money for retirement. You know, a factor that many seldom take into account is inflation, the rising cost of living that comes uh, in the future. So how does one then approach this? You know, how do you inflation-proof your retirement? And joining me to discuss this is Dr. Selena Dang, a licensed financial planner with CorePlus Advisory. Good morning and welcome to the show, doctor. Let's start off with the first question. How does inflation impact uh, one's retirement nest egg? Um, before I start, let me let us have a first um, an understanding of what an inflation rate is. So it is basically the annual rate of increase of the consumer price index. But in Malaysia, it is actually packed to a single basket of goods and services that represents the consumption basket of all households. So when we see the prices of these goods and services increase steadily, you've got yourself inflation there. And according to the Central Bank of Malaysia, for 2021 as a whole, the average headline inflation for Malaysia was 2.5%. But nonetheless, for the average Malaysian, for example, now, if a loaf of bread actually costs us three ringgit a year ago, and today you may easily be paying something like three ringgit and 30 cents for the same loaf of bread. So if we do a simple calculation, the current inflation rate is 10%. So it may not be far-fetched that an average Malaysian's personal inflation rate to be between 6 to 10%. So during these times of inflation, so our money is actually worth less and subsequently buys a smaller percentage of those goods and services whose price have increased. It means that we are losing purchasing power. Now, if you have been saving up for your retirement nest egg over 30 years, the money you put at the beginning won't be worth the same amount when the time comes for you to withdraw it. Because if there's regular inflation while you're saving, then you could see your savings account impacted. And um, similarly, the retirement nest egg that you have built today won't be worth the same amount as you withdraw it over the years because of the impact of inflation. Again, let me give you an example. Given a very conservative inflation rate of 3%, your 500,000 ringgit retirement nest egg today would devalue by 15,000 in one year. That would only give you 350,000 ringgit of purchasing power is in just 10 years. And in 24 years, your purchasing power will be halved to shockingly 250,000 ringgit. So what we can see here is how inflation can take a serious bite out of your retirement nest. Okay, so how do you then protect yourself? How do you hedge against inflation to protect your retirement savings? 
Well, many Malaysians, when we talk about hedging against inflation, especially in your retirement, a favorite place to keep um, their retirement nest egg is in fixed deposits. Okay, more so, of course, for retirees, yeah, when they actually look for secure and guaranteed returns. Now, um, with FDA rates today trending lower from like about roughly between 1.82% to maybe about 2.1% per annum, but most of us have like a personal inflation rate of between 6 to 10%. So what we will see is a negative real return on our investment and also our purchasing power decreasing. So there is actually a risk of placing funds in FDs where the low interest is unable to hedge against inflation. So the way to make our retirement savings work harder for us is to have a well-diversified portfolio um, something that would give you, you know, a net annualized returns of between 6 to 8%. Okay, this is for those with moderate risk appetites or maybe 10 to 12% for those with higher or more aggressive risk um, appetites. And I'm saying when you have a well-diversified portfolio, the timeline that you are actually looking at is mid to long term. A lot of people are invested in stocks. Is there a way you can adjust the weightage as you age? You know, how, how do you make these considerations? Um, yes, the adjustable weightage is actually um, the most basic and simplistic method to, de de to determine asset allocation. So it is the 100 minus your age axiom. So this is where you will actually gradually reduce your equity risk as you get older. So, for example, you know, it states that um, the equity portion of your investment portfolio equals to 100 minus your age. So, if you're a typical 55-year-old, okay, based on this adjusted weightage, so 45% of your total portfolio can be in equities. It sounds pretty straightforward, but actually it is not necessarily so. Okay, I would say um, that this... Um, adjusted weightage is just a starting point for making any investment decisions. A variety of other factors may also shape your investment strategy and portfolio allocation. Exactly like how we were talking about, you know, deciding, you know, drawing up um, on your personal financial plan, okay, um, knowing, you know, the holistic picture of your financial situation. All right. Now, um, that being said, what should retirees consider um, when in retirement? So retirees are often advised to shift away from stocks and load up on less volatile investments, you know, such as bonds or fixed income funds. But that doesn't mean you should not hold any stocks in retirement. And if you're going to keep a chunk of your assets in stocks, Okay, dividend stocks will normally offer a lot of benefits and they are actually worth considering. So what are these um, dividend stocks? Okay, so high quality dividend yield stocks will provide you the income stability. They will also have the potential to gain value over time and protect you against inflation. Which sector to invest in if you're investing for retirement specifically? I would recommend that you focus on companies with successful track records and those that are consumer relevant, like um, fast-moving consumer goods companies, clothing apparels, and food-related companies. 
I personally also like large cap banking stocks as they are great dividend generators and have strong capital appreciation potential in the long run. Okay, what not to invest in? I would avoid companies in quick evolving uh, industries that undergo substantial technological disruptions because in retirement, safety and stability is important. So these companies, it's they are no-nos for me. But okay, so another kind of like um, investment or pro- protection hedge against inflation that I think many Malaysians are familiar with and they love is property, right? Do you, Does property make sense uh, for your retirement in terms of like continuing investing in property? You know, should you hold several properties when you're at your retirement age or should you maybe let go of your properties? Well, when it comes to properties, um, I like to draw it all down to four factors. Okay, the first being a liquidity. So for your physical property, you need to understand the risk associated with holding these properties, especially in your retirement age. I think that everyone should aim to set aside one property as a retirement home. And for your other properties, your houses, condos, commercial properties that you own, due to the illiquid nature of this asset class, I would strongly suggest that you match these investments with your goals or objectives of holding on to them. You know, either, you know, for whether you want to hold it for rental yield to create a passive income stream or even capital gain whereby you plan to dispose this asset at a certain time period to fund your retirement goals. So as an investor, based upon these goals and their respective timeline, work out whether it is still feasible for you to hold on to the asset or you may want to consider liquidating these properties. And of course, the second factor is the rental yield. For example, a piece of property that you have owned have appreciated over the years. And today it is giving you a 2% or maybe 3% net rental yield. So it would be better to sell the property and move these funds into investments with better yield. And to give you the same level of exposure in real estate, which is an asset class, I would recommend that you look at REITs or Real Estate Investment Trust, either those that are listed on the um, stock exchange or even a REIT fund. All right. The third factor that you should consider um, when holding on to property would be your taxes. Rental income is taxable. And if you plan to liquidate your property, then you need to consider the consequence of paying um, the RPGT or the real property gains tax. And last but not least, property management. You know, buying a physical property, owning a physical property means having to go through the hassle of maintaining the property, you know, and dealing with tenants. So if your property is old and needs a lot of maintenance, you also need to look at the cash flow, whether you have the cash flow needed to maintain and repair this property. Let me give you a personal example. You know, I had a house that was rented out, you know, with a 3.5% rental yield. I would think that is, okay, reasonable. And it wasn't a great location and um, it had potential for price appreciation. However, you know, at the end of each tenure of two to three years, the house needed to be refurbished. And mostly the cost of refurbishing is a lump sum amount equivalent to almost one year's rental that I was collecting. 
Well, that was actually on top of having to deal with tenant issues, you know, and maintenance emergencies and so on. So towards the end, I took advantage of the exemption order under Panjana. I think that was in year 2020 and sold the property, moved the funds into RITs and without having to own any physical property, without having to manage, you know, without having to take um, financing on the property, okay, it was it is now yielding me an average about six six percent returns per annum, and yeah, I would say that um, you know my mind is free to do other things, you know, and to focus on other um, areas in my life. Okay, that is for your houses and your condos. But if you have a commercial property that has a reliable tenant and it does not in any way you know, need uh, much upkeep or repair, then maybe it may be a good idea for you to just hold on to it. Okay, um, outside of all those, uh, what are the other kind of like tools that you or asset classes that you can use to protect your retirement savings from inflation or hedge against inflation that Generally, an investment portfolio should consist of five asset classes. Okay, I would say they are cash, there's your bonds, your equities, your real uh, assets or your properties, and also your alternative investments. Okay, so we have actually spoken about cash, which is your FD. We have spoken about um, your shares which falls under equity and also properties which falls under the real assets. Let me talk about bonds now. So bonds is actually a favorite of many retirees okay, who wants to protect their investment and yet get a certain amount of reasonable returns. Okay, bonds can be direct investing or it can also be invested through bond funds. Okay, for the general public, though, it is mainly through bond funds. And um, using an asset allocation strategy, I will use bonds as an asset class in my portfolio allocation because bonds, they are relatively more stable and offer slightly higher return than risk-free investments such as FD or money market funds. Okay, generally, although the volatility is lower compared to other investments, the returns from bonds may not be sufficient to hedge against inflation. So I will use bonds only as a cushion in the portfolio, but it is not the solution for hedging inflation. And um, besides bonds, of course, you have your other investments. You can have your gold, you know, you can have your um, currencies and so on. Yeah, actually, I want to ask about gold. Do you think gold is a safe haven that people can turn to for their retirement? Gold is actually another asset class that would fall under your alternative investments. And usually for alternative investments, I would only allocate up to 10% of the total portfolio to hedge against all the other um, asset classes. So yes, we can use gold as a tool to hedge against inflation. And as with all alternative investments, I would keep the allocation to about 10%. We're going to take a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense. I'm Sim Weeboon. And today's topic is inflation proofing your retirement and how to do it. Joining me to discuss this is Dr. Selina Dang, a licensed financial planner with Core Plus Advisory. 
Now, um, doctor, we of course we can't have a conversation about retirement without talking about EPF. So you know, let's let's take this opportunity now to zoom into EPF. Um, I want to start off with this. Do you think Malaysians are too reliant on EPF for their retirement? Come to think of it, I wouldn't say that Malaysians are too reliant on EPF, but I would rather focus on the question whether Malaysians have enough for retirement. Of course, members with high savings in EPF, meaning that they have highly paid jobs, okay, and they probably would have made minimal withdrawals, therefore they will have enough when they retire. And whether they have enough to retire, I guess EPF would be enough to you know, um, fund their retirement on top of whatever investments that they may have. However, the point of concern would be the lower income members who may not have enough savings even to retire. Um, there was an estimate given by EPF where they say that only three Malaysians based on, based on EPF's statistics, it was stated that only 3% of Malaysians can actually afford to retire. So if they have been withdrawing during all the various schemes, then I would say it is not whether they are relying too much for EPF for retirement, I would rather say that you know, the, the issue is whether they will have enough for retirement. I think, you know, uh, for many, EPF allows you to dip into it to buy a house or to fund a ch- your children's education. I mean, should you use that as a way for you to own property, uh, to pay your mortgage loan or to kind of pay for your children's study? Okay. Um, now, for EPF, basically, it is divided into two accounts. Um, for your account one, which constitutes 70% of your saving, okay, um, this one, you can only do a full withdrawal if, number one, you are migrating, or number two, when you die. And in the third situation, whereby you know, you're a civil servant placed under a pension scheme, you can also utilize 30% of the excess saving um, for your um, investments, yeah. There's one members in a members investment scheme under EPF. Okay, for your account too, which constitutes thirty percent of your saving, you can actually use it to fund your kids or even your own tertiary education. Okay, to pay down your mortgage, um, you know, to perform your hajj, but with a limit of um, three thousand ringgit, and also um, if to pay for any medical bills that you may incur. Now, for the account too, you can withdraw the full amount from this account when you reach the age of 50. Now, for the question whether you should actually use the account too, which is the 30% of your total EPF savings to fund education or to pay down your mortgage or to pay other expenses which are allowed, it actually depends on the personal circumstances. I would strongly recommend that you have a separate fund for your child's education. Okay. And at the same time, looking at the kind of returns that EPF are giving us, you know, EPF actually is an almost risk-free investment with a guaranteed annual dividend of 2.5%. Okay, but they have often paid much higher returns. Like for example, in 2021, they paid 6.1%. So it doesn't actually make sense for us to withdraw from EPF to pay off our housing loan, okay, when it is actually giving us a positive yield. But on the other hand, if you're actually struggling to pay off your uh, mortgage, 
or in fact, if you you know actually um, meet with an unfortunate un- when you meet with an unfortunate circumstance where you need funds for your medical expenses, if it is an emergency, then you can consider actually withdrawing part of the money from it, uh, account too, but with the consideration of topping it up again after you're able to. Okay, so um, of course we can't talk about EPF as well without the latest announcement from the government of yet another 10,000 ringgit withdrawal. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, is this a good idea? What, what, what should people really think about before they decide to take out that 10k? Um, I guess the government's objective of allowing this special withdrawal is to cater for those who really need the money. People who are still struggling you know, from the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic and um, those who are struggling to make ends meet. And of course, also for those who were recently affected by the recent floods. Um, the kind of considerations, I guess, that you, know, bef- that you should think about before you really want to withdraw funds from the EPF, if you have the chance to do so, is ask yourself, what is the purpose of you withdrawing the money, the 10,000 ringgit? Okay, and what basically are the consequences of you withdrawing the money? I've seen examples where people actually just withdraw the money because of herd mentality. You know, in behavioral finance, we have this term called herd mentality. In a way, it refers to, you know, trying to follow and copy what other people are doing. You know, basically, FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. So after they withdraw the money, Okay, they actually do not know what to do with it and it ends up you know, left in fixed deposits or in money market instruments you know, without um, any yield or without much yield. And of course, many a times, this lump sum money you know, were also just spent off without a purpose. Okay, so before you consider whether you really want to withdraw, ask yourself first, you know, what is the purpose of you withdrawing these funds? Are there any moments that you think that, okay, it's all right to take out? Of course, a very popular um, reason why many people are advocating a withdrawal, okay, that is actually they would want to move their money from EPF to an investment whom they are confident that their returns are higher than the EPF. Okay, I guess that's actually one of the reasons, um, you know, yeah. Currently, which is a very popular idea. ASB you know, stocks, you know, bench yeah. it against the S&P 500 or something. Yeah. What, what is, 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 do you think that's a good idea? Well, um, I would say all investments have its risks. Okay. And if you are comfortable and sure of the kind of risk and volatility involved in the investment, and of course, you know, you must have the willpower and discipline to not withdraw these um, investments, you know, either in ASB or, you know, in your index fund, you know, hedged against the S&P 500 for any impulse spending, then this may be an option. But do it wisely, you know, keep your eyes wide open before you withdraw and make sure that um, these funds are well invested. Okay, so lastly, let's round up our conversation today about the common mistakes that you think pe- that people often make when it comes to retirement. What are they and what advice do you have for them? Well, um, the most common mistake that I see is where people are underprepared 
for future inflation. So when it comes to retirement savings, okay, so there's um, being underprepared for future inflation is a great problem. So while saving money in the bank or fixed deposit or even in bonds, it is a great step. Okay, but being too conservative in investing and being too risk-averse is unlikely to generate returns to hedge inflation. So be well aware of um, your risk tolerance, okay, your goals, your needs in retirement, and invest in a portfolio that would at least hedge inflation. The, the second mistake would be underestimating active years in retirement. You know, because of longevity risk, you know, we see that you know um, our life expectancy continuing to rise. You know, there is a risk that you may run out of funds. There is a risk that your retirement will last longer than the retirement nest egg that you have set aside to finance that retirement. And um, retirement will probably be more expensive than most of you think, as each year, you know, the cost of living keeps going up. And also, I've come across situations where people do not start early enough saving for retirement. You know, is this popular saving? No, it's too early to start saving for my retirement. Okay, this is where many have underestimated the power of compounding and the time value of money. Because for compound interest to work, it needs time. Okay, for example, if you're able to set aside 1,000 ringgit every month at a 12% um, return, 20 years later, it is already 1 million ringgit. And your cost of capital is only 240,000. So many fail to understand that starting early to shore up their retirement funds is essential. And last but not least, okay, also many have over-prioritized financial planning for their children's education and also for their children's future welfare. Okay, and hoping that children will take care of them in their old age. You see, the choice between applying you know, your savings to retirement versus to your children's education is actually a common problem, especially in Asian families. So what I would recommend is that parents set aside a certain allocation for your children, whether it is for their education or for their future welfare, and if that is insufficient, then if it's for their education, consider taking up a study loan or applying for a scholarship. You know, as the Fiti saying goes, you know, no one will lend you money for your retirement. And asking money from children or family members is also not easy. Yeah? So always give yourself permission to save for your retirement and spend if you already have enough. After all, you, know, you are allowed to spend your own money. You know? So in a nutshell, it is basically our responsibility to take care of our own finances and our health so you can live a life of dignity in your old age, especially when you have worked hard more than half your life. You need to live the best life possible with the resources that you have worked hard for all these years. That's all the time we have for Ringgit and Sense. I've been speaking to Dr. Selena Dang, licensed financial planner with Core Plus Advisory. Join us again next week for more discussions on personal finance. We've got the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise. I'm Sim Weeboon from The Morning Run, BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense. 
on BFM 89.9, the business station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.